Welcome to Geekia Show Ever Number Eight. This is the show I've been looking forward to. We're going to be talking about our favorite music in movies. Um, I, you know, I guess we could have done TV show too, but this is more about movies and soundtracks. And or or is it? Is all your picks this week, David, just uh, movies, or is it television shows? No, I have I have a couple of TV shows in there okay. as well. So we're going to kind of so. lump TV in together with you know I I didn't plan on that because I didn't pick the A Team theme for mine, but. <laughs> So, so Mark Rudd's here with us. Hello, Mark. Hey, hey, everybody. So this week we're going to be discussing uh, my picks and David Cohen's picks. And next week, well, in the next show, GSE number nine, Guy Searle will be joining us, and we'll talk about his picks and Mark's picks. But right. let's let's get this kicked off. David, what's your first pick? My first pick is the theme to Doctor Who, which so that is a TV show, um, though they are talking about doing a movie, so... Um, you think it'd work in a movie? I think it would. I, well, I think yeah. I think the the latest the latest incarnation, which you know the the original format was kind of like six half hour episodes, and uh, now they do it more as a as a more you know US TV friendly hour. Um, I think they could probably they could probably turn it into a movie. Think, it has been it has been movies before. Peter Cush, Peter Gushing played Doctor Who in the movies, uh, you know, during the sixties and seventies. So it's not unprecedented. I think I think it definitely needs to be cleaned up and polished and and really a, a focus on a two hour episode. I think that that would definitely work in a movie. You got to give it a big yeah. budget though. It's because you can really see the low budget atmosphere in Doctor Who on the TV. Well, yeah, I mean the the, the modern incarnation is you know is, is worlds apart from the way it used to be. I mean back in right. the sixties and seventies it was really really low budget. Now it's uh, yeah it's still a TV show, but it's a uh, it's a bit more professional than it used to be. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm sure they throw some money at it if if it, if it went big screen. But the, uh, the 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 theme the theme tune to it is very interesting because you know, it's a very. There's two iconic... different ones that you sent in for your pick too. Yeah, well, I I, I sent you the current one, which is uh, you know has, has been very has modernized and and has got quite a lot of of richness and depth to it, uh, and is a great piece of music. But the original. I mean, it doesn't sound that different to the original piece of music, which really holds up, bearing in mind it was written in the early 60s. Well, let's, uh, put, the... let's drop these two in here real quick on the podcast so okay. everyone knows what we're talking about. Okay, David, we played the original Doctor Who theme, which I think is kind of nicer myself. It's it's clean. It's not so busy. Yeah. And then the new one. But they're definitely similar. Yeah. The, the the interesting thing about the original one is that, you know, this was this was created in 1963. And they didn't have any synthesizers. They didn't have multi-track tape recorders back then. And the way this, this piece of music was realized was... Um, Somebody in the BBC, this uh, this lady called Delia Derbyshire, who never got paid because women didn't get paid very well on the BBC back then. Um, she basically she she made every single individual note by using um, um, test tone oscillators and, and analog pieces of, of uh, you know rudimentary electronics um, onto a piece of tape and then cut the whole thing together. And then redubbed it back and did that over and over and over again to actually create that piece of music. It's amazing. And she did it. In, she did it in such a way that it sounds just like you know it was it was created on an electronic synthesizer, but effectively it was done manually, note by note. It must have taken hundreds of hours to do it. Um, and and to me, this is what you know. It's one of the things that only the the fact that it was created like that gives it this very otherworldly feel that actually really suits the premise of the show, which is that. You know, here's here's a, here's a man who who looks like a man, but in fact he's completely not the alien, and he's, you know, anciently old, and he's a master of time and space. And you know, I, th I think I think they really captured something there, and it's one of the reasons why you know here we are, 45 years later, and the the show is still massively successful, and and the mu the same piece of music is still being used in in you know, and it doesn't say it's it's orchestral nowadays, but it doesn't sound massively different than it did back then. No, it doesn't. I it, like I said, I kind of like the clean version. It's just it's simple, and yet kind of eerie and very atmospheric it's i didn't know the story behind the music either so it, it's well, it's kind of cool i like that yeah you yeah. ever watch dr who mark yeah yeah actually i, I have I, i've, I've watched, watched the, the older one myself and the newer one i haven't seen any of the older versions of it but i've watched the newer uh it's over the last couple of years yeah 
It's pretty good. I mean, there's there's some fairly good stuff in it. All right, my turn. Um, my my pick is I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the the whole British thing for a minute, David. Good. Um, Let's send that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you feel about the series, but I love Harry Potter. Um, yeah. I came into Harry Potter really late. Uh, books. How many books are there? Seven, right? Seven. Book six yeah. was just about to be released when my wife decided that she wanted to read the Harry Potter books. That is late. And my wife basically just tore through the first six books in a couple weeks. Not, no, no kidding. And she was hooked. And so, of course, since she read it, I had to read it too. And I went ahead and... Because I'd already seen one or two of the movies. And I enjoyed them a lot, but not as much as everyone else seemed to like them. Um, so I went ahead and, and I started the books. And... They blew me away. I thought they were kid books. They they are, but they're not. Um, they're just so... I, anybody listening to this already knows. Harry Potter is just fantastic. And I think that the music created for the movie by John Williams... I mean, it's number one, it's John Williams. What do you, exactly. I mean, what do you expect? But, I hear a lot of John Williams in my list. <laughs> yeah, but what do you expect from John Williams and... and how do you capture the essence of Harry Potter in this magical world? It sounds easier than I think it really is. And I think he did a brilliant job of it. When you hear the music now, that's Harry Potter. I mean, there's no question. So uh, here's my pick. So that's John Williams. Technically, that's um, off the, I think, Prisoner of Azkaban movie. I forget. It's Hedgewig's theme. And I love it. It's so good. I, I, I can listen to that soundtrack, and it will take me right to the movies. Uh, in fact, when I hear it, it makes me want to pick up the book and start. I've read the entire series twice through, and I, I kind of want to go back and start again, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, what I find in... Oh, yeah, we got your speaker on. Let me... All right, keep going. What I find interesting about um, that, though, is is that 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 kind of that melody, the uh, the motif that, that he's created, it, it works so well because you can play the, the, you can play that as part of the main score. Yep. And uh, you know, with the full orchestra going and everything, and it sounds awesome. But you can you know take it all the way back to that that kind of that spooky uh, whatever the instrument is. It sounds like a you know, a, a glockenspiel or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, it, it it's kind of like it's a signature. It's, yeah. It's almost it's almost visual. As soon as you hear it, those first couple of of, of notes, you you know, it, it conjures images up in your head from from images from the movie. I mean, it's incredibly incredibly powerful. It is. I I think it's actually his best work since Star Wars. I um one of the things that I like about that is that the the piece is very whimsical and of course it, it's not know, always whimsical. Well, the one I played is, but that, it, that they one, take the same chords, slow it down, and put it on you know the low chords on a piano, dun 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 dun, dun. and then all of a sudden it's it, it has a totally different meaning. And I think that's what David is saying that he can just use that in so many different ways, and it just works. Which is one of the great characteristics of the way that John Williams writes a piece and then weaves it through the entire movie in different forms and with different instruments. And uh, every time I hear the that that version, that clip that you played, I always think of the first the, the sword in the stone, sorcerer's stone, and that very first scene as it starts, as the as the first movie starts. And I always go back to that, and it it always puts me in that mindset of. Harry Potter the series, so it's great, great pick. Um, I'm going to go on a limb and say that John Williams is probably the greatest composer we have living right now for movies. I, I just don't think there's anybody over the last 35 years that's better. There's a I there's a couple that come close, but he is just awesome. Okay, David, what's your next pick? Um, what is my next pick? Uh, how about Batman? <laughs> how about Batman? We're talking about we're talking about great composers. Um, I don't think any mo any list of, of movie music um, would be complete without some stuff from Hans Zimmer. Um, he's a very different style, and and I would yes suggest that he's no nowhere near as talented as John Williams. He writes these um, very bombastic, 
Uh, he's kind of like the Michael Bay of movie scores. You know, you kind of know what you're going to get with Hans Zimmer. It's always going to be, you know, uh, blood blood pumping stuff. Um, but when he, when he was hired to write uh, to do the music for for Batman Begins and then The Dark Knight, um, he collaborated with um, James Newton Howard, who's another great composer. And the two of them together made something that that I think was better than e- than each of their constituent parts, because they uh, managed to capture the to me the kind of the essence of what of what the reboot of the Batman series is about you know the the music they've they've written and this piece of music in particular um which which is uh taken from the Dark Knight soundtrack it kind of captures it's very tense um and it uh you know kind of captures the very tight pacing of of the movie uh, and the way the plot moves along in the movie but at the same time it does kind of you know, bring over what Batman is about. You know, which is you know, no matter how dark things are, he's he's the hero, and he's going to kind of figure out a way through it, no matter what the, what the cost. And this music really kind of sums it up to me. Let me uh, play a little clip from uh, The Dark Knight. I agree, David. That's a very powerful piece. Um, I I got to be honest, though. I like the Batman theme from the nineteen eighty nine movie better. It's more yeah, well, iconic. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that Danny Elfman is a, is a fantastic composer, and he he writes very memorable music. But but to me, um, this kind of this worked within the movie better than that did. I think the the, the you know the the Danny Elfman piece is a great theme for Batman, um, you know, much in the same way we were just talking about with Harry Potter. You know, it's a very um, recognisable piece of music and it conjures images up. But actually working through the movie as a background piece of music, I think I think this piece worked really well. I remember when I watched The Dark Knight really being impressed by it. And I, I've heard that particular piece of music used in several TV shows to kind of, you know, set the same sort of tone. And it just works as a... As a fantastic underground piece of music as something else is going on on the screen it's, that's, that's what, that's what I, I like about. it don't don't get me wrong but I don't know I, I it, it's not as iconic to me as the original when I say original 1989 Batman movie that no, sound I, I would, that was a Batman theme I mean when yeah. I hear it that's Batman I would I would agree it's not it, it's not an iconic piece of music but it um, you know it, it I, I like the fact it was there in the background kind of you know driving the movie forward. Now, it served it... its purpose very well because it, it, it built the scene up, which a good piece of music and a good soundtrack will do. It, it works very, very closely hand-in-hand hand with the action on the screen and, and the, sense, the, the sensibility on the screen. Now, I noticed that, I, of course, I've got access to what everyone's picks were, including my own. And I was the only person who picked a movie, uh, music from a horror movie. And I'm not a big horror movie person. I like zombie movies and stuff, but that's not really a horror movie to me. Uh, I'm talking about truly scary movies. And it's not easy to... I You could do something in a movie to make me jump out of my seat for a second, but that's not really scary. That's more of a gotcha factor. I'm talking about movies that when you watch, it makes you dream of it. <laughs> yeah. And I saw a movie, the first time I saw it wasn't in a movie theater or anything like that. I saw it... Um, which is funny, at a, an actual party. Somebody was having a party, and um, they were going to play this movie in the basement. And whoever wanted to watch it, go ahead and go down to the basement and watch it. So I went down there because I had never seen it. I know and, where we're going. And uh, I, I watched this movie, and it scared the crap out of me, unlike any movie before or, quite honestly, since. It freaked you out. And it, oh, it freaked me out big time. And um, that's all I'm going to say. Here's, here's the song. Can't believe no one else didn't pick that song. Tubular Bells. It, it's a scary song, too. Well, particularly in the context of the movie, if you were to just hear that song by itself, um, you oh, okay. But if you see no, it no, trust me, movie, my my daughter, who, um, I, I played this for her, not the movie, of course, 
this song. I was doing some kind of, uh, oh, I know what it was. My One of my nieces got married, and I did the video work for it. And then, of course, I made the CD. And she got married on October 31st. It was one of the coolest weddings I've ever been to. Everyone dressed up in their favorite scary outfit. Um, and it was a Halloween-themed wedding. So I did a lot. And I, this whole place for the reception was all made up in Halloween decorations and skulls and witchcraft. And it was just really cool. Black lights and strobe lights and fog. And it was amazing. It, it, I, I was blown away. And uh, when I was editing the video together, I had like... I don't know, 20 minutes of the people coming in and signing their names and stuff like that. And, and the decor before everyone got there. And, um, I had to put music to it. And so I went and grabbed this song and I put it in there. And my daughter was watch or was in here when I was putting the CD, this uh, DVD together, but she couldn't actually see what I was doing. She could just hear the music. And she went, that's scary, dad. <laughs> so, I don't know, Mark. I think that that music is scary regardless of the context. I mean, it, it's kind of this haunting melody that provokes, at least in me, and of course I've seen the movie, but even in my daughter, this kind of a, ooh, that's that's a scary sound. But I wonder if that's subconscious because she knows it's associated with The Exorcist. And the first time I ever heard Tubular Bells, I mean, Tubular Bells was a, a huge album. Um, you know, in the early seventies, yep. it was it was the first big it was first big uh, album success for Virgin Records. Um, yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, the act, if you if you if you ever get the original album, that is just the opening of a twenty five minute piece of music, which was yeah, the it's whole. An opus. It's an opus. Yeah, yeah. The, it was yeah, exactly. It was the whole one side of the album, um, and it and it it kind of it takes that theme and it runs with it and it transforms it into something that by the end of the 25 minutes sounds completely utterly different so to me it never it never invoked those kind of um you know feelings of uh, of of being scared because i'd never seen it associated with the exorcist until much much later on so uh maybe i don't, I don't know whether whether she'd uh, she kind of just knew it was it was associated with a scary movie i don't know i don't either but she said it was a scary it was that scary dad um, but it's a it's a brilliant song. Um, it's a, well, it, a brilliant it, piece of music. Mind, it always it, it conjures up that image of the the house at night, and and the priest walking up to it with the mist and, and oh man, it just it's it's unbelievable. It is. That's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in uh, hell, but wow, that movie just whew, that touched me on a, on a primal level that I didn't like. Linda Blair yeah. was awesome, and I can't. There's nothing scarier than a movie with little kids, and they're the bad ones in it. Um, right. The Omen, and uh, oh, I don't, ooh, I don't like those. <laughs> I don't mind the slasher films. Those are I kind of think those are kind of humorous, to be honest. Even when they're trying to go for the scary, but right. you know, the the psychological, other world, something's wrong. That I don't. That scares the crap out of me. I don't like watching those movies anymore. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna go a lot funner. It's Queen. Unprecedented solar eclipse is no cause for alarm. It's Flash Gordon. David, that's your pick. It is, and uh, what a great piece of music. Horrible, horrible um, movie. I actually saw yeah. it today as I'm recording this. It, that's, I, I saw maybe the first half hour of it. It's so cheesy and so bad, except it, for me. You did well to last for half an hour, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I, I mean, you know, this is this is one of those... I remember, remember very clearly going to see the movie in, in the theatres, and... You know, I was, uh, this was 1980, so I was 9 or 10 at the time, and, you know, it was just one of those movies where, you know, you kind of say, okay, well, you know, it's past, past an hour, past an hour and a half, but, but the music kind of really grabbed you. And and I, I think one thing that does come across from, from Queen's treatment of this, which, you know, they, ev everyone associated with this movie must have known it was terrible. I don't know. Uh, you, you read a script, and it, it could come out pretty good, and... Flash Gordon is such an iconic figure. I mean, it, yeah, but what they did to what they <laughs> did to him with this movie. And, yeah, but who knew know, it I was going to be that bad? I, do you really think that they thought this is going to be just horrible? This is going to be cheese. 
I can't imagine with some of the scenes they have, you know, kind of the. I mean, when they made Flash Gordon a football player, and then they get a, a kind of a for the New York Jets. Fo- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they have a football-shaped alien alien egg, and and they end up having a football game in the middle of uh, Ming's court. You know, I mean. How can you not film that and not thought this is trash? Yeah, but you know, you know I, some people are going to say or could say, um, "Here comes." I'm, I just read the script, and they're they're having a sword fight with lasers, basically. Maybe. Yeah, know? maybe. I, yeah, and I'd that's Star that Wars. But what, what I what I what I do get out of the movie, and particularly from this piece of music that Queen did, is that you know everyone kind of did throw themselves into it, heart and soul, and they obviously had some fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I can imagine Queen having a lot of fun. Well, the song, um, this music doesn't make fun of the movie. I mean, it, it's very no. serious. It's it's a Absolutely. great song. It was a serious effort for a movie that was not but, quite as yeah. serious. But having said that, it, the, the you know the way the song is put together, it's um, you know it's very over the top. It's very camp. Yep. Um, and uh, you know the fact they've overlaid it with with clips clips and and you know samples from the movie, in in you know kind of just adds to the campness of it. You Absolutely. Know? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's one of it's one of Queen's most recognizable pieces, and which is uh, unfortunate. <laughs> well, it's a great song. Well, you know, but you have to, but but you it, have to believe that uh, Freddie Mercury just totally enjoyed, you know, writing and arranging, and you know, with the rest of the band. But I mean, you know, you could see Freddie doing all this stuff, you know. Oh, well, yeah. he's. I mean, he 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 was very camp, so I'm sure he got a massive yeah. kick out of it. So. Oh, I'm sure. I but to say that this is one of their best known songs is. When you look at the catalog of music from Queen, that's kind of a sad statement because most of their music is just brilliant, and right. this song stuck in there. Although I will say the one from, uh, oh, what is it? I want to say Iron Maiden. That's not right. Uh, the Iron Eagle. Um, yeah, that's another kind of a campy song, but that's actually you know it's not on my list, but that's a good song. Yeah, I would rather them yeah. be known for that than the Flash Gordon music. <laughs> Just a little campy. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, the lighthearted tone for the moment. And uh, this is a, 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 it's not really a song or a soundtrack. It's something that a character sings in the movie. And the only reason I picked this is, is because it's the first movie that my wife and I went and saw together. Good afternoon, everyone. We're flying at 26,000 feet, moving up to 30,000 feet. And we've got clear skies all the way to Las Vegas. And right now we're bringing you some in-flight entertainment. One of our first-class passengers would like to sing you a song inspired by one of our coach passengers. And since we let our first-class passengers do pretty much whatever they want, here he is. I want to make you smile Whatever you Carry you around when your arthritis is When your tummy aches Build you a fire If the furnace breaks So it could be so nice Growing old with you I'll miss you Kiss you Give you my coat When you are cold Okay, that's obviously uh, Billy Idol talking at the beginning of that, and I let it play a little bit longer than the rest of the music because, um, like, did, have you ever seen the Wedding Singer, David? Uh, I've seen I've seen the movie, but I don't remember it. I don't remember that piece of music from it. The the piece of music is when it's towards the end of the movie when um, Adam Sandler's character got on the plane late, so the only thing that was available is first class, and Billy Idol is sitting in first class. And he starts telling the story, and everybody in first class is just glued to the story about, you know, he fell in love with this girl, blah, 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 blah. And uh, um, a stewardess comes out and says, somebody just asked me, you know, did I want to join the Mile High Club, and I'm a piece of grade A, B for something like that. (laughs) And, of course, he's like, well, wait a minute, that's the girls that I'm in love with, that's her um, fiancé. So... He plays this song over the PA system and then comes out from first class curtain with his guitar, singing it to her. And, of course, that's when she realizes they're going to be together. And it's a really cool moment in the song. But, of course, for me, 
I saw it with my wife. We both really liked the movie. We both grew up in the 80s, and that's when The Wedding Singer takes place. And uh, so every time I hear that little bit of music, I just think about my wife. It's the first time that, you know, we saw a movie together, and the song is about growing old with somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we're doing. We're growing older together. So it's got a, it's personal. It's not by any stretch of the imagination it's one of the greatest songs ever written for a movie. I, I don't even think it would make the top 100,000 list. <laughs> But it's a personal pick, and hey, yeah. that that's kind of what, you know, sometimes that's what it's all about. Right. I like the movie, yeah. though. I, I think it's a great movie. Well, and, the, and the, movie, the movie was really, this was a pivotal part in the movie because this is where everything turns back to where you want, they're going to be together, and everything begins to work well, and, and uh, the good guy wins out, and the bad guy loses. So it, it was an important piece of music to the movie and the way Adam Sandler composed it on his way to the airport thinking about her and then... i think it's adam sandler's best movie um and that's Definitely not saying a whole lot i like happy gilmore and i like this movie but i like this movie a lot better uh and not just because it's the movie that my wife and i saw for the first time together it was our first movie we ever saw together but it's just a really good movie yeah. and yeah. most of his movies are not very good no. they're supposed to be funny but you've seen the previews you saw all the funny bits already yeah. and uh but this the is one movie. that really stands out, and I think Drew Barrymore really carries this movie. I think they have a good chemistry. I, I like them together in Fifty First Dates as well, but I like this one better. Yeah, I did too. What were you going to say, David? I was going to say the the clearest memory I have of music from The Wedding Singer was the um, the kind of the uh, the he has a, a sidekick in the band who's like a drag act. Yeah. He, the only song he ever sings is uh, "Do You Really Want You're, to Hurt Me" from the Culture Club. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a brilliant And they piece call of him film. George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sings it like twice in a row in the wedding. Yeah, uh, he's, he's always really going depressed. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Adam Sandler walks off the stage, so he's stuck singing another song, and the only song he can sing is that. They're like, shut up! <laughs> I love that movie. I might have to watch that later tonight. Okay, David, your next one. Yeah, is... this is a... Yeah, this is a bit of a, a change of pace now. We've had a couple of light-hearted ones, and this, yeah. this is most certainly not. So, so what's um, the song? Well, it's it's the, the o- it's the opening theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it's a piece of classical music by Johann Strauss called um, Also Sprach Zarathustra. And um, uh, it's one of those pieces of music everybody... Everybody knows this, you know. They've they've heard this. It's been, it's become a kind of a, a an iconic um, opening. And you know, it, it now it, it, if you ever have any sort of sunrise scene, this is kind of the the music you can hear in the background. So let's play it for the uh, listeners here. The monolith, the the monkey men. Um, That's right. Very iconic piece of music. Everybody knows that. Yeah, and and you know, I think one of the problems with something that is so well recognized is you kind of you lose the impact of it because it, you know, you've seen it in commercials, you've seen it parodied, you've seen it taken off, um, and uh, you think it ruins you know music when they do that? Because I've well, seen this I, in everything from. Visa ads to Chevrolet cars to I mean you know yeah everything. I mean when I when I was trying to trying to think of, of things for this list you know I really took, tried to take myself back and and try to put myself in the position of what it was like to first see this movie with this piece of music and um, you know I actually went back and watched the opening on YouTube and it the, I mean this is again is a motif this is this piece of music is used several times during the movie and and obviously it's it's uh, what it's what it's what it's it's uh, implying is the main theme of the movie, which is about the rise of man, the fact that man goes from being primitive to being sophisticated, and just when he thinks he's sophisticated, he finds out that he's he's a primitive again, and that's kind of what the whole movie is about. Um, and 
you know, this this really captures that very well. And and if you go back and watch the original opening, you can see it, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly well chosen by Stanley Kubrick. Oh, it was. Um, it was a brilliant have, piece of music because it invokes all those feelings. Exactly. You know, and yes, it, it, it's lost some of its power over the years because of the of the uh, commercialism of it. But I guess that just shows how how right on he was with it right at the beginning. That that it kind of you know it sticks in everybody's head as as uh, being associated with that. You know, it's one of those intelligent songs, the ones that you hear, and there's there's really more to it than you think. Especially if you just hear the very beginning of it, you go, okay, yeah, I know what that is. But if you listen to it, um, the entire thing, it's it's very powerful yeah when it made my list because it's it's i think it's just because it's overplayed but it's still it's a good choice mark um i you also have to put it in this context of this is 1968 Uh, we've not really seen any films the likes of what stanley kubrick was able to capture on on film and everything about the movie was very iconic uh, the way his pacing the way it was shot the the subject matter and um so i mean and the and the mu- and the music the soundtrack was just as iconic you know this is going to be a shorter show than i was planning on but we're going to have the part two of this in two weeks but it's my turn now isn't it now yep now i know what mark's list is and he's got a song from the same type of movies as as this one his is more of a, a pop song but if I need to work out or I'm getting ready to get into a fight with someone and I need to prepare myself, because <laughs> yeah. you know, that happens all the time, uh, this is the song that I listen to. Going the distance, it's Rocky Balboa, obviously. Um, I, it's a brilliant piece of music by Bill Conti. It's when I think of Rocky, I know a lot of people think of dun 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 dun, 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 dun which I think is overplayed. That is Rocky to me. That is Rocky working out, getting ready to fight. Um, it, it's clearly a song about. Because of the movie, you think of it, but he's an underdog. This was in the very first movie. He's an underdog. He's training. There's no way he's going to win this fight against the heavyweight champion of the world, which is actually the brilliant part of the very first Rocky movie uh, because it wasn't supposed to be a part two and a part three and all that. When this movie came out, it was just that movie, and he lost the fight in a decision. And it was good in the second movie. I love the second movie, too, just as well. Probably just as much as the first, because everyone wanted Rocky to win that battle with Apollo Creed in the first movie. Everybody was rooting for him. The first time you guys saw it, you wanted Rocky to win. Absolutely. But I think it was much more realistic that, you know, this nobody out of Philadelphia, uh, a southpaw, in 1976, has no chance against Muhammad Ali. And that's really who um, Apollo Creed was. It's Muhammad Ali. And it was a brilliant piece of movie-making history, I think. I mean, say what you want about, you know, what Sylvester Stallone became later, although I think he's kind of turned that around nowadays. Um, it, it was a brilliant movie. He played that part so well. He's a, he's a guy that's not very bright. He doesn't have a chance in this fight, and everybody knows it, even him. Um, but he he puts his entire heart into it, Begins to believe in himself. Yeah, it's that whole the yeah. whole battle of of his, you know, maturation from you know a street fighter who doesn't think he's got a shot to you got Mick in there who's helping him, who's telling just what you got to do and helping him believe in himself. And he's and finally he's found all, a woman that yeah. actually cares for him that he's totally in love with in his and very in the simple midst of life. All those personal struggles, he's able to to find and summon the courage and begin to believe in himself and really. Of course, when everybody watches the fight, we all believe he won the fight. 
Yeah, you know. but he doesn't. Yeah, right. And it, it's, I think it's one of the best movies of the 70s. And yeah. I think a lot of movie critics kind of overlook it at this point when they're looking at the best of lists. But I remember seeing Rocky, and it it just blew me away. I mean, it, it's such a powerful movie. And when you hear that music going the distance, you you just totally see Rocky. And t- trust me, if you guys have to go running or something, there's no piece of better music to listen to than that. <laughs> you know, because it, it slowly builds up as time goes on. And then it's, it's iconic music at the end where he's, you know... They, they also play Going the Distance, part of the song, at the very end of the movie, after he's lost. And he's calling for Adrian yeah. to come into the ring and... Um, it, it's. I think it's a brilliant piece of music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, you said Rocky's an underestimated movie. I mean, what I, what kind of always brings it down to me for this movie is that uh, you know Sylvester Stallone wrote it himself. Yep. Um, you know, it won it won an Oscar. Yep. Right. Uh, won three Oscars actually, and um, you know, kind of you look at how his career went after that, and you kind of think, where did it all go wrong, really? Because uh, uh, he, I mean, he, he became a big star, but it, you know, he, I mean, he became so far removed from what he started doing. Yeah, you look at the movie that he did right after this, and this that was um, First Blood, which yeah. was the first Rambo movie, which is also a, a really good movie, and it's nothing right. like the sequels. But what he yeah. did was, and I think it's unfortunate, and in some respects I don't blame him because he wants to get paid like anybody else, but he took both Rambo and Rocky and he made them into these huge franchises that had to appeal to everybody. And he tried to use the same formula in subsequent Rocky movies, and I just don't think it worked as well. Although, I, you know, to, I hate the fourth movie with the, the Russian. I think that's just a horrible movie. Um, but the third one with Mr. T... I thought was a perfect cap to the entire series. That's probably where they should have left it, I thought. Where, right. you know, he's finally on top. He's not the loser anymore. Um, and and he loses it all to somebody just like him, an up-and-comer hungry guy, right. uh, before he wins it back at the end. I personally thought that he should have simply lost the title to uh, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, and that would have been a, a fitting end to Rocky. Uh, nobody who comes out of nowhere loses to the champ, one of the greatest of all time, comes back in a rematch, wins it, goes through a whole bunch of nobodies, and then loses it to someone just like him. That would have been a, a fitting cap to that's the Rocky boxing. series. That's exactly boxing. Yeah. But they went campy. Um, I didn't mind the fifth movie at first. The first couple times I saw it, you know, he's retired and he's training someone and. Um, his kid really wants his attention, but he's lavishing all the attention on this prize fighter that he's training. It just wasn't the Rocky movie to me. Um, they should have called it something else because it wasn't Rocky. But I will say that the the one that just came out a couple of years ago, Rocky Balboa, was actually a really good movie. Most people probably haven't seen it yet because they thought, oh, God, another Rocky movie. But I thought that was really well done. I mean, it kind of follows the, the George Foreman type of retired boxer, really doesn't have a chance comes out of retirement to fight this guy and loses. Good movie. I liked yeah, it. Definitely. And great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. You know, but Sylvester Stallone's career really kind of went downhill um, as far as a, being a good actor in the 80s. I mean, it just went to crap, I think. Yeah, it went to Judge Dredd. It did. It, wasn't a good thing. it did. <laughs> and although I like that one where he wait, he he's uh, convicted of a crime, goes into hibernation and wakes up and Wesley Snipes is now the bad guy, and Sandra Bullock is his partner cop, and they never curse. And uh, I can't think of the name of it though. That's not Judge um, Dredd. No. No, no, it's. Um, Cannot think of it. It's on tip of my tongue now. Yeah, it is mine too. Doesn't really make a difference, but I, I, I thought that was kind of a cool movie. But I think that it wasn't until Copland where Sylvester Stallone kind of got back to being the actor that he could be. Have well, you guys then, seen yeah, Copland? Yeah, that was a great movie. Yeah. It was, and he really carried yeah. it. And he pl- yeah. he kind of plays uh, a Rocky Balboa type of character. He's underrated. Yeah. No one thinks he's very smart. Uh, he's got this handicap because he's deaf in one ear, and that's why he couldn't make it to the big city and be a cop. Uh, really loves this woman who's married to somebody else. I mean, he's the underdog, and he wins. It's a great yeah. movie. Plus, I mean, yeah. it doesn't hurt that Robert De Niro is in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that kind of helps. Yeah, Demolition Man was the movie. Oh, yes, Demolition Man. It's it's so bad, but 
I really kind of like. I think Wesley Snipes pulls that movie out, not Sylvester Stallone's. Yeah, yeah it was an over-the-top performance, but it was very, very amusing. Yes, and that I, you know sometimes we just want to be amused in in movies, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. What is your very last pick, David? Well, I'm back to TV shows. Though this actually was also a movie. I can't. I don't think they used this theme in the movie, but um, this is uh, this has got a lot of memories for me. This is Saturday mornings for me growing up in the in the UK in the 70s. Um, when when you know back back in the 70s, you know we didn't have a lot of TV over here. We only had three channels, and uh, you know kids' TV was confined to you know a very limited slot of about an hour and a half. Um, in the afternoons and um, and then you know normally just a little bit on Saturday mornings and most kids TV was you know from the BBC and everything kind of was educational wasn't really all that entertaining but Saturday morning on ITV the kind of commercial channel was all about entertaining kids and this show was was the show that we all watched and the show was Thunderbirds and this is the main theme to Thunderbirds Thunderbirds, the Marinettes. Right? Absolutely. That, that now, was a, they, talk about cheese, but I totally get why you were into it. Those ships were cool. Yeah. Well, that that was the thing. The thing about about Thunderbirds um, and and all the stuff that Jerry Anderson did, he kind of got pigeonholed into doing the whole puppet thing because when he right. first started, he wanted to do live action films, but nobody would give him the money to make them. Uh, and um, but he, but he was told he could do kids TV, so he start, He did a whole series of puppet shows, and and the the thing is because uh, they they lavished so much attention and care and detail into the work they did, he kind of got pigeonholed into doing the puppet shows. And so every single show he did, he made them bigger budget, um, you know, and and really made them like they were live action, but they just had puppets in. And Thunderbirds is to me is is the best one he did, and really epitomizes this in that. They were an hour show, which meant that the... Uh, I mean, the premise of Thunderbirds is that this, this is um, this family, a well-funded family, who've set up this organization to rescue people from high... You know, set in the future, from high, the kind of high... Yeah, the, from the high-tech problems that they get themselves into. And they've built this fantastic fleet of amazing craft with a, you know, a, a gadget for every emergency. And these guys just go out and save people. Which, you know, from the very start was very different from what a lot of people were doing on TV this time, which is all about killing and shooting people. You know, this and they about took it serious, people. too. I mean, they, they, and, and they, this, they didn't go absolutely. for the camp or the funny or the ha-ha and no, wink, wink, absolutely. nod, nod. I mean, they took it serious. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, most of the... Um, special effects that you saw in movies in the from the like mid 70s to late 70s onwards including all the James Bond films and everything like that all of those guys learnt their craft making thunderbirds because oh, yeah. the the models and the ships and the explosions and everything were all done as with a, you know on a very cheap budget with as absolutely as high quality as possible and i think this theme music kind of really again sums that up because it you know it, it's um it's a very memorable piece of music, and they used it in the show. It wasn't just the the main theme where they kind of, um, you know, they showed you all the craft and everything. But whenever the the, uh, the 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 family lived on this island, and all the ships were all hidden away, and they all had these incredibly ornate ways of launching the ships and landing the ships, you know, with palm trees moving out the way and pools sliding away, and yep. you know, rather than walk to the ship because they were puppets and it was hard to make them walk. They had these, you know, they would they would get on a on a chair which would turn into a bed and would then slide down these these chutes and all the time this music was playing in the background and it made every time they kind of went anywhere in the ships an event. Yep. And and that's why as a kid we used to love watching it because it was all about, you know, look at all the cool things they could do. You wanted and, those uh, toys, you know, didn't you? Oh well I had I, I had a few of the toys. You they know, didn't make the, as many as I thought they they would. 
No, well, it was, you know, the 70s, people weren't cashing in. It was only when George Lucas came along, they really yeah, got exactly. the idea of how much money could be made with the toys. But, um, yeah, it, it was, it was certainly for, for kids in the 70s, it, it was really iconic for us. And that piece of music, you know, is, um, it, it's, again, it's one of those things, I just only have to hear those first opening bars and, and I kind of know what it's all about. Do you well, like you know, the, yeah. uh, the, re- the, spoof of it that was the done movie. a couple of years ago with um, what the, the movie well it wasn't the Thunderbirds oh you're talking movie. about um, uh, team, team america. america yeah i thought it was hilarious it i, I, I love team funny. america i thought well of course it's the south park guys and i love south park yeah. um i thought again like you just said i thought it was a brilliant piece of filmmaking they lampooned everyone the left the right the center i mean it was it was a brilliant piece of filmmaking uh and you finally got to see what you always wanted to see as a kid the, the puppets having sex. That that was hilarious. I mean, it, it, it's so stupid and so funny at the same time. I mean, it's it's one of those movies that if you haven't seen, you really need to watch Team America because it's just hilarious. But you know, all this all this business in the news with North Korea, and every time I hear it talked about in the news, all I can yes. imagine is Kim Jong Il going hands beaks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I feed you to the sharks, hands <laughs> It's it's so funny. You're right. It, um, it's kind of ahead of its time too. Yeah, I I definitely remember fondly all of the uh, Thunderbird episodes and you know Jeff Tracy and all of his kids and and you know Thunderbird Four and all the different uh, things that it could do and they could drop off and and uh, you know each different. Uh, week you'd have the whether they were in space or or on, on back here on the planet they, all the things that they were doing i kind of you know you look at some of those things and it's kind of like what what james bond hoped he could be and what they hoped they could do on film but never could quite you know accomplish because of the limit of special effects back then you know and and it was just uh, you always rooted for them and every week you were looking for something new they're going to do it was always you know new and exciting and so yeah it was it, it was a wonderful show for kids I, you know I, it, even back then though their eyes creeped me out i don't know why <laughs> yeah. something about the eyes of those characters always creeped me out they gave me the the willies so i liked the show but i uh, it, there was always that little creepiness factor for me so to to wrap up the show we've got uh my last pick and uh, like Mark, he picked uh, another song from the same series of movies that I did. And anybody listening to the show, as many times as we talk about Star Wars, you have to figure there's going to be some Star Wars music in there. But mine is uh, from the dark side. One of the most iconic pieces of music from any movie wasn't in the first Star Wars. It was in the Empire Strikes Back, the first time you you hear the Imperial March. Of course, written and produced by John Williams. And, you know, it's a menacing piece of hostility. That is a a song that is definitely about Darth Vader. It's definitely about uh, the military, militaristic... um, it's the bad guys, and I think it captures the bad guys better than any song I've ever heard in any movie. Yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of, you know, it just makes you think of a huge fleet of starships and, you know, loads and loads of clone stormtroopers just waiting to, you know, come down and take over. I, I you know, when I hear it, I see row after row of thousands of stormtroopers at attention as Lord Darth Vader, with his black cape swirling, makes his way across the deck of the starship. Um, I, I mean, it, it's... 
this is not somebody you want to mess with. It's majestic, and yet at the same time, it's it's dark. I love it. I think it's one. It, it's on my iPhone as a ringer. I mean, I love the Imperial March. Um, I actually have a version of that as well that Metallica did live in concerts on guitar, and it's pretty good. But it kind of goes to show you how popular that music is. Is there anything in any movie that's more recognizable than the Imperial March? Well, not when you're talking about, you know, darkness and, and you know. I think anything. I, I can't think of any song in any movie that's more, will put you right into that movie, like the Imperial March. I mean, obviously you guys didn't pick it for for your list, but for me, I mean, I, I think it's just one of those moments in any movie that anyone's seen and everyone's seen star wars when you hear it you know exactly what it is and i mean it, it's very powerful takes you right there it does and but you know it, it's it's also one of those songs that i can listen to um and it's and i've got it rated very high in my itunes playlist so it, it pops up in my i you know when i'm in the car quite a bit and the kids are like oh star wars but they know exactly <laughs> what it you know I, I don't have the main star wars theme ranked that high i don't want to hear Dun, 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 dun. You know, I don't want to hear that. But this is different. This is, dun, dun, dun. I mean, it, it builds up, and it's. I, I think it's a brilliant piece of music. I mean, how do you yeah. write music that's encompassing who Vader is and what the Empire is all about, as well as that song? And I know, and and actually, it's interesting. You know, back in the uh, back in the in the early PC days, you know, I used to play um, the Star Wars games. It was uh, X Wing, which was a great game. Oh yeah, so yeah. was Tie that, Fighter. That, yeah, yeah, but the thing game. is. TIE Fighter was a better game, and one of the reasons it was a better game is because you were playing the Imperials, and that piece of music was playing all the time. Yep. You know, whereas, uh, you know, in the X-Wing game, you always had the, the, you know, the good guy, Star Wars music in the background. It was fine, but it got really tiresome after a while. But having that piece of music while you were blowing up starships was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I have to agree with you. I, I know, I, I play the game. I know exactly what you mean. It was... It was it's Star Wars. I mean, yeah. And I don't want to see or hear that music in any other movie. I don't want someone to spoof it and put it in their movie and ha ha. Here's a funny moment and oh look, we played the Darth Vader theme. Um, I don't want to hear that because it belongs where it belongs. Um, although you do hear a little bit of that in the last bit of um, uh, Revenge of the Sith when you see the, I guess you'd say prototype Imperial Star Destroyer dry docked and launching and they play a little bit of that music right then and it fits it so well because that is the empire's music right. um, when i yeah. hear that song i want to see darth vader i want to hear immediately recognizable yeah i i think it's more powerful than than vader himself i think that that music may helped make darth vader what he is such a feared bad guy in any movies i mean you, you see these tv shows where they list the top 10 bad guys vader is always on the list and usually within the top three i think that song is one of the reasons for it yeah uh, what what was funny though on the um on the family guy when they spoof star wars uh the, the uh they're, they're in the elevator on the death star and it's playing kind of the muzak version of yeah. the theme <laughs> that was hilarious yeah it's yeah but I think it's a, a, a just a great piece of, of music, and once again, you know, we go back to John Williams and his brilliance and in taking because obviously he doesn't write this in a vacuum. He gets to see the early cuts of movies, and he has to write this music to match it. And I don't know if there's anybody alive right now who can match what we see and what we hear at the same time. He he nailed it in Harry Potter. He nailed it in Star Wars. Um, We're going to have some next week that definitely he nailed it in as well. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he's just and he can go just he can go science fiction, he can go magical, he can go the most depressing movie you'll ever see, right. but the music is so good in all of it. And is it just me? Is when you hear something you 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 don't necessarily know it's John Williams, but you hear it and you go, I bet that's John Williams. Yeah, you recognize it as yeah. his genre. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not like he's singing, so you don't recognize his voice, but it's something about the arrangement. You just know yep. that's a John Williams theme, or at the very least, it's someone who is very heavily influenced by John Williams. It's always majestic yeah. and, and, and expansive, you know? It's huge. It, it surrounds you, you know? 
I, I don't know why yeah. they didn't go out and hire John Williams to write a proper theme for the new Star Trek series of movies. Yeah. Because that's that. the only thing that I think the, the new Star Trek movie is missing is this music that when you hear it, oh, that's Star Trek. I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't George Lucas or, or Spielberg, and they said, you better not help out J.J. Abrams. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. I, I, he, he's done a lot of stuff uh, yeah. for a lot of different movies. I just well, don't I mean, know why they yeah, didn't do it in I Star mean, Trek. He, I mean, one, one of the, you're talking about iconic piece of music. He wrote the music to Jaws. I mean, mm-hmm. how, you know, I was going to put that on the list, but the problem is it's it's nothing it's I can not really, really drop song. in the podcast. <laughs> well, it yeah. is a song. I've got it. I, I, I do have that song, but it's so soft, and and it works so well in that movie. Just the the build up, and it's slow. I mean, when you listen to the actual Jaws movie. It's yeah. there for a while, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't just come out and hit you in the mouth like a lot of songs do. It, it builds up, and it's this crescendo, and it's, it's it, Jaws is a brilliant piece of music. I, I totally agree. And realistically, that's definitely on my top ten list. I just couldn't really play it here on the podcast. That that was actually yeah. my my pick, David. Um, before I thought about Harry Potter, and I went, oh, I got to go with Harry Potter. Yeah. But Jaws was going to be on my list. Yeah. So any any song that didn't make it that you think, you know, if I had a couple more picks, it definitely would have been on there. We won't play them, but what else is missing you, from your list? Be careful if you pick those not to re- reveal any of next week's. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was tough to kind of, you know, kind of find out what you wanted to say with the list, really. Um, yeah, there was, a, there was a few pieces of music that, that kind of, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you mentioned... Um, when we talk about the Batman piece, you mentioned the Danny Elfman version, and I did think about that one as well. Um, you know, but the problem is when you start thinking about this, it it, it kind of depends on the mood you're in when you kind of come up the list. list. What, yeah, right. yeah. What what you what you want to see on there and what you don't, and it's it's easy to chop and change. And what I like about about doing something like this, like this is there are so many pieces of music that that kind of fit with. With the the movie they sit in, you know, and yes. and, and uh, you know, you mentioned some memories about about uh, you know when you saw some of the movies and some of the pieces of music that went with them. Some of that that that's part of it as well. You know, if you had a great time uh, and it has great memories for you in a particular movie, then the music will probably stick with you a bit better than you know if you'd had a bad day. And I, I could do you know, another ten of these shows and pick five different songs every single time. Exactly. Yeah, you know. The, the one that I was going to put on my list, but unfortunately we already did it. And that was the music from Independence Day on the very first Geekiest Show ever, number one. Yeah. Uh, you know, from a couple months back. That is one of my favorite pieces of music. But I was like, yeah, you know what? We already did that on Geekiest Show 1. I already played it. Um, I don't want to pick that again. But coming up with a list of just five is not really easy. You know, I thought it would be easy when I, when we came up with the idea last week on the last show. Hey, let's just do that. And it it wasn't easy to do. I did solicit um, feedback from both Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter at MyMac, and uh, some of my Facebook friends, and not very many people replied, but I did pick two of them because I thought these were funny. Uh, Annette Benke of North Carolina, she picked the Brady Bunch theme. <laughs> <laughs> she said it doesn't get any geekier than that. Um I don't think that would make any of my lists, to be honest, guys. But I think she's right. It, it, the geekiest, the Brady Brunch would definitely be in there, wouldn't it be? It's definitely Unfor- recognizable. Yeah, unfortunately, now you've mentioned it, it's in my head, and I have to go to bed after we finish doing this. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> um, Sam Powell of St. Louis picked Star Wars, Jurassic Park, and MASH. Now, I can agree with two of the three. I, I hate the MASH theme, guys. I hate it. Oh, yeah. No, I never liked that one. Um, and I think it's because my mother, when I was growing up in the 70s and part of the 80s, uh, my mother loved MASH. And it was one of those rare shows that was in constant repeats, even in the pre-cable days. So I saw every episode of MASH at least four times because she would probably watch that a total of 20 to 30 hours a week. And if I heard the MASH theme, I thought, ugh. Mom's watching MASH again, you know. I can't go in there and watch Scooby-Doo or, you know, He-Man or Transformers or G.I. Joe or something that I wanted to watch. I would hear the MASH theme, and it just ruined my day. 
Um, yeah. And I didn't want to hear it. Now, I do want to say that the, we open the show with a piece of music, and it's it opens up, a, I think, a lot of Disney movies, but I pulled it out of Toy Story. Um, it's just, you know, one of those... It's music over a logo. <laughs> so I, I couldn't pick it, but I didn't want to play it on the show, and I thought it was a good way to open the show. But So next show, uh, Geekiest Show Ever, number nine, we're going to have Guy Searle, who couldn't be with us today because he was having Skype problems. And uh, Mark, you guys are going to have your top five lists. Definitely. Um, yeah. We'll be having a lot of John Williams involved there and a few... Uh, curveballs, maybe some surprises. No, maybe and, uh, about it. I know what guy's list is, and there's definitely some stuff in there. People are gonna go what? But uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's, these are personal lists. Exactly. Um, a song that I was going to play is from um, 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 Toy Story, mm-hmm. and it's the what is the the name of the song now? You got a, um, you got a friend of me. me. Thank you. That was going to be on my list as a personal pick, but. I decided not to at the last minute, and uh, I'll save that for another time. But that's another one that's a, you know very personal, and when I hear it, it takes me back to being uh, a single dad after my, my the divorce from my first wife, getting her every weekend and watching Toy Story the movie on VHS, you know, five six times on a weekend. And I don't care how good a movie is, you watch it that many times, you don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> but. You know, there's music in movies is so important. So many movies go very high tech. You get all the special effects. You get the big explosion. You get to see for the twelfth time the Eiffel Tower getting blown up or the White House or whatever, a Big Ben. You know, you you see these things and then they skimp on the music. They go off the shelf music and it just doesn't work. Uh, It's one of the reasons that I didn't pick any kind of pop culture, popular songs at the moment type of songs that you see in movies. Um, because to me, it, it gets dated really quick. And I know you picked the Flash Gordon song from Queen, David. I didn't pick a song like that on purpose because I, I it doesn't last for me. Right. And the ones that I did pick, to me, are very iconic. You know, the Rocky, the, yeah. the Harry yeah. Potter, the Star Wars, the, you know, those are the type of songs that, are going to last a long time. And when you hear them, you think of that movie. Um, although Flash Gordon, what else are you going to think of, right? <laughs> hey, Tim, you know, I, I, I really think that it, I mean, you hit it right on the head. You know, the the music from all these loved movies is really important because really they become, you know, David talked a lot about motifs and, and montages that, that are utilized in a lot of these movies. But really, these songs become the soundtracks of our lives, you know. They, we grow up with them. They become so important to us, and whenever we hear them, they always take us back to some of those really pivotal moments in our lives. So I think that's why that this is such a great show to have, such a great topic to have, um, because we can all identify with most of these. Yeah, and I think everyone that's listened to the show, probably half of the songs that we played today, David, they would probably put on their list. I mean, it's very iconic yeah. music that we picked. I mean, yours is a little bit more eclectic than mine, I would say. Mine's a little yep. bit more mainstream. Yeah, but I try, I try deliberately tried to do that because I wanted to have a a broad mix of of music to talk about. Because uh, rather than it just being, you know, the I mean, I was I discussed this with uh, I discussed this with a couple of people who know me, and they said, "Oh, you, you haven't got any Star Trek music on there." That's you know, and they know what on a purpose. big Star Trek fan I am. Well, I, I I did I did think about putting my favorite piece of Star Trek music is probably the theme to Star Trek: First Contact. But, um, I would say the theme for uh, Deep Space Nine. Well, Deep Space Nine would also be up there as well. But um, I, you know, I thought no, I'll try and just try and come up with something a little bit different about the, uh, you know, things that stick with me. So I, I think the one piece of, I mean, you, you said, oh, was there anything you wanted to put on? The one thing that I was very tempted to put on was the, the five note um, piece of music. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Close Encounters. Yes, of the third yes, kind. I knew you were going to say that. I, that yeah. was getting close on my list too. Uh, I just don't enjoy that movie very much. It's one of those movies that if it's on, I'll watch it, but I won't go out of my way to see it, and I won't buy the DVD. Um, but you're right; those five notes are talk about iconic. I mean, it's it's brilliant, yeah. and it's just five notes. Yeah. Who did the music in that? I don't even know. John Williams. Again. Was it John? Hmm. Go, yeah. go figure. Right? Spielberg, you know. hmm. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna wrap up uh, Geeky Show Ever Number Eight. Uh, for you guys listening, we'd appreciate it if you can go up to iTunes and give us a review, good, bad, or indifferent. 
We'd like to know what you're thinking. We also would yeah. really like to hear any feedback. You can send that to feedback at mymac.com. And the reason that we do the feedback at mymac.com is because this show is sponsored by the mymac.com website. That's our flagship uh, where we do another podcast called the MyMac Podcast. If you want to hear about Apple, uh, Macintosh, anything to do with technology, I guess you'd say, you will hear it on the MyMac Podcast. In fact, make sure you tune in next week and you'll find out about the new iPhone and whatever else Apple releases. So uh, head up to MyMac and subscribe to the MyMac Podcast as well. Send us feedback. I said at feedback at MyMac.com. Review the show up on iTunes and, uh, more importantly, download the next show when we talk to Mark Rudd. Guys, throw and find out what their top five picks are. We'll be back. Thanks.